Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. We'll get started in just a moment. This is the uh, regular Monday night class from Against the Stream. And um, this is the first night in the last, I don't know, I feel like it was maybe five or six months there where people were coming. Maybe it was four, I don't know, uh, to class and then starting this week for the next few weeks, we're not having anybody present. So it's just, just Zoom classes um, for the next couple of weeks while the um, increased caution around COVID um, is asking us to stay home and not gather in person at the meditation center. So welcome to everybody that's tuning in on Zoom, joining the Sangha from around the country, anybody that's here for the first time, welcome, welcome back, everybody else. Start with a period of guided meditation, and then we will um, have some Dharma talk and discussion. Um, But find a way to sit that's upright and relaxed, a meditation posture with the understanding that discomfort is often just part of meditating and um, that we try to find a way to sit that is upright and relaxed uh, with an attitude of friendliness and accepting that we're gonna get uncomfortable often in meditation and that that just becomes part of our practice. We're not trying to escape it, but turn towards it and see what we can learn about our relationship to pleasure and pain. So as you're ready, making any adjustments necessary, and then settling into relaxing any unnecessary tension, allowing our eyes to be closed, and establishing the intention to be kind and friendly towards your experience, to meet your mind, your body with acceptance, taking the first few minutes to have a narrow focus, concentrating the attention on the body breathing, letting everything else be in the background, sounds and sights, smell and taste, thoughts and emotions. We're not trying to stop the mind, but we are trying to stop paying attention to it as we choose to pay attention 
to the body, the first foundation of mindfulness, body sitting, body breathing, Let it be very simple. Just paying attention to a half a breath at a time, breathing in. Know that you're breathing in. Feel the sensations. Breathing out. Know that you're breathing out. When your attention is drawn away from the chosen object of the breath, whatever you're paying attention to, some people choose to use sound as the primary object. Because the Buddha's first instruction in the mindfulness teachings was breath awareness. We often start there. When something takes our attention away from the breath, we just name it, acknowledge, thinking, then come back to the breath, gently returning with this attitude of friendliness, this intention of acceptance, come back over and over.
Some find it helpful to label the breath as it comes and, and goes. Labeling or noting in as you breathe in, out as you exhale. Helps us gather the attention to focus in the present time experience. We're receiving the sensations of the breath. Even just the breath itself can teach us so much about impermanence, beginning, middle, and end to each inhale, beginning, middle, end to each exhale.
The breath serves as a anchor to the present time experience. The breath is always happening. When you know the breath is coming or going, you are present, we are here. But there's much more to this practice, to our experience than just the breath. And the Buddha's instructions encourage us to start with the breath and then expand to the whole body. Sensations from head to toe. Feeling the upright posture. Know that you're sitting, all of the sensations created through contact with the chair, the cushion, the couch, the bed, wherever you're sitting tonight. The sensations created by the clothing that we're wearing, the shirts, the pants. contact with the skin. Awareness, mindfulness of touch, where the feet touch the floor, the legs touch the cushion, the butt, the hands resting in the lap or on the legs. Lips touching, eyelids touching, arms touching. Quality of interest and investigation to what's happening right now in my body. What am I experiencing? What sensations? are present and my hands and feet, my elbows and armpits, neck and face. What do you feel? And of course the breath. Expanding and contracting the chest, rising and falling of the belly, and air entering and exiting the nostrils. Mindfulness of the body with the body. If you find that it feels like you're observing from the head, the brain, the consciousness, looking down into the body, experiment with descending, of inviting 
consciousness into the fingers and toes, arms and legs, into the trunk of the body. An intimate receiving of sensation with the body rather than a detached observation. An unentangled participation with your own moment-to-moment sensations. Continuing to allow the thoughts to be in the background, but using the mind to investigate the present, what's happening right now in the body, and investigating the second foundation of mindfulness, what feeling tones are present. Is there pleasant sensations? Where do you feel pleasant sensations in your body right now? what sensations are experienced as unpleasant, bringing your attention directly into any places of discomfort, pain, And are there sensations in the body that you experience as neutral, where you can feel sensation, but it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant? investigating a moment-to-moment experience of what is perceived as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral.
remember to soften places of tension when we find ourselves clenching the jaw or hardness in the belly. Softening into whatever's happening in this moment, pleasant or unpleasant. more we can identify what we're feeling, the feeling tone of our experience, the more we see how we're creating our own suffering. It's not the pain, but it's our relationship to the pain. It's not the pleasure. It's how attached, how much craving or clinging we meet pleasure with. we participate in our practice in developing the wise response, inclining the heart towards acceptance and kindness, towards tolerance and mercy, towards pain. Softening into us. 
and learning to enjoy the impermanent reality of pleasure arising and sustaining and passing. I'm going to talk um, about uh, Buddhist ethics, the teachings, the suggestions, the guidance on how to live, uh, how to behave, how to speak, how to act uh, in a way that uh, is supportive of our intention for happiness and for awakening. But before I get into the teachings tonight, is there anybody that has questions about how to work with your uh, experience while you're meditating? Are the meditation uh, instructions clear enough? Does it make sense what you're doing? Um, tonight I kept it pretty simple just in the first and second foundations of mindfulness. There are four foundations. I really only just kind of hung out in the first two tonight, which is good to do sometimes to keep it simple. Uh, my encouragement in the instructions tonight was just 
really body awareness, breath awareness, body awareness, first foundation of mindfulness. With that investigation of what's the feeling tone in my body? What is being perceived as pleasant? What is being perceived as unpleasant? And, and neutrality. And what are our relationships to these sensations? How do we relate to the pleasure? What's your relationship to the pleasant sensation of your hands resting on your legs? What's your relationship to the pain in your knees or in your ass or in your back or whatever gets uncomfortable while you're meditating? What's your relationship to all of those parts of, of your body that are neutral, where you can feel, oh, I have sensation over here or on my legs or on my back. I have sensation, but it doesn't hurt, but also doesn't feel pleasant, but I feel my back. I feel my front. I feel my sides. I feel my, but they're, it's pretty neutral. Um, are you able to sustain awareness with neutrality? How quickly is the attention drawn to what's painful? Are you able to identify anything pleasant or is it too subtle? Just, you know, of course, no judgment, just looking at where we're at. I see a couple of questions coming in the chat. If you want to ask a question um, out loud, you can raise your hand. If you go under your participants uh, tab, there's a little blue hand down at the bottom underneath the, I think it's under the chat where you can raise your hand uh, or maybe in your square. Let's see. Any thoughts on how to meet and live with a perse persecutory, I don't know how to say that, persecutory inner voice, one that says I'm inadequate, hurtful, unlovable, etc. cetera. Um, yes, lots of thoughts of how to meet and live with that critical uh, inner voice. Um, one is to... Um, and I, this is one of the things I love about Buddhism uh, is that first, just normalize it. Everyone lives with a judging mind. It's not just you. Everybody's mind, every human being, every, everybody's mind has judgments and fears and inadequacies and uh, insecurities. And uh, do I fit in? Do I, am I accepted? Am I loved? Uh, is totally normal, first of all. One of the problems is, and one of, one of the wonderful things about spiritual community, some, <laughs> some, some uh, is that we actually talk about what's going on in our minds. And then it normalizes it. You get into a community and we're all going like, oh yeah, you have a judging mind? Me too. Your inner voice is critical? Me too. And we're all acknowledging it where like in the world, People are not admitting that shit. <laughs> People are pretending uh, like, oh, no, no, I'm fine. Uh, but the reality is everybody's mind does that. So I even like the way that you asked the question, which is how to meet it and how to live with it, which is great, right? Because sometimes we ask the question, how do I get rid of it? <laughs> how do I get rid of my critical, judging, fear-based, confused mind? The reality is we don't get rid of it. We learn to meet it with compassion, with forgiveness, with 
kindness. We learn that it's not so personal, that it's not uh, self, it's not who we are. It's just a confused part of the human evolution. You know, it's part of the uh, kind of reptilian judging mind <laughs> uh, that we all have to live with. But with meditation, with training, we learn to meet it with more friendliness and we learn to not believe it, not take it so personal. Um, and in some ways to just see that like all of those thoughts I said a few weeks ago, like anytime your mind, our minds tell you that you're, what did you name? Unlovable, inadequate. Those thoughts are lies. Now it's quite hard to just like turn towards your own lie, your own mind and be like, you're fucking lying. <laughs> You know, to really have that attitude towards like, wow, my mind is so full of shit. It just told me that I'm unlovable <laughs> because it's so convincing. But it's always a lie. There's, that's not true about you, about me, about anybody. But it's very common for us to experience it. Um, so we learn to not take it so personal and to meet it with compassion and like, oh, my poor confused mind doesn't even know its own worth, doesn't even know its own value, doesn't know its own beauty. Uh, you know, like having some compassion for that poor confused aspect of mind that's that confused. Um, and the more we practice loving kindness, the more we practice compassion, the more we forgive the mind actually those tendencies of mind uh, soften. I talked last week about the kind of internal change of tone that happens over the months and years of our practice. Um, so I hope that's helpful. And um, the more you practice the heart practices and train the mind, the less critical it becomes, but it doesn't end that part of the mind. It softens it and our relationship to it changes drastically in my experience. And this is also even what the awakened Buddha said. He said, even after enlightenment, my mind still attacks me. <laughs> I just don't take it personal anymore. So I think that that's really important for us to have that realistic idea that even if we get fully awakened, we still live with a mind that's going to be confused sometimes, critical. But there's that part of the mind that's awake to it and just says, oh, I see this as confusion. The Buddha called it Mara. Um, another question that says, oh, just a comment that says, I struggle with body awareness. So really appreciated that simple focus tonight. Um, the last two sits, my left shoulder became stiff and sore, but not until the end, not sure uh, where that's coming from. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about where it's coming from uh, and just accept it. Like, oh, yep, stiffness, soreness. Um, maybe the kind of, I don't mean to be too uh, dismissive of the question, um, but the, uh, you know, it's coming from having a body. <laughs> it's coming from having taken birth in a physical form. 
and you sit still for 30 minutes and your body's like, oh, that aches. <laughs> my shoulder aches, my ass hurts, my knees hurt. Um, it's just, you know, a nervous system and, and it just gets achy. Uh, and as I said at the beginning of the instructions, it's a big part of what we're learning to do is just learn to be uncomfortable and name it, oh, unpleasant. And I have aversion to unpleasantness and I'm trying to meet it with compassion. And that's not easy, but I want to learn to meet that. The more we can learn to meet the pain in our ass, in our shoulder, in our knee with friendliness, the more we'll be able to do that with the difficult emotions, with the difficult mind states. Uh, so we, the more we can embody it in our bodies, the more it will translate to how we work with our difficult emotions, with difficult people, <laughs> with difficult experiences. And it's one of the good parts of sitting still and getting uncomfortable, giving us the opportunity to change our relationship to discomfort. Um, last two questions, then I'll get into the topic. Um, so what other nice things do you say to your mind as it attacks? I feel like, I have a lack of ammo. Um, I forgive you. I care about you. Uh, you know, the, the loving kindness phrases, you can take your mind as the object of loving kindness and say to your mind, uh, may you be at ease. Because, right, the mind is like agitated and un frustrated and, and critical, you can, you know, say oh, to your own mind, like, it's okay, like, may you be at ease, may you be free from this suffering, from this judgment, this fear that you're, that I'm throwing at myself, <laughs> that my mind is throwing at me. Um, also, maybe I want to say, like, I hear you. I hear you, I see you. This was what the Buddha uh, replied to his own mind when his mind attacked. He just said, I see you, Mara. And that there's something about, you know, that simple equation, what we resist persists. What we, you know, when we try to suppress and ignore and pretend like that's not happening, it kind of just gets louder. So sometimes just turning towards the mind and saying, I see you. I, I hear you. I hear this judgment. <laughs> I hear this fear. I hear this. Uh, and just saying, I, I hear you and I see you and, and I forgive you. And I care about you. Uh, it can be difficult to make that step to sort of depersonalize it because it feels so much like me. <laughs> right? But uh, the more you meditate, the more you will come to understand that the mind is not who you are, that it has a mind of its own and that it just, you're trying to pay attention to your body and your mind's judging and doing whatever it's doing, off in la-la land or at war with somebody or whatever it's doing. Um, I hope that's helpful. Uh, the last one says, I welcome, uh, what's the difference between individual pain and annoyance intolerance of others um 
no difference. <laughs> uh, it's still our pain, whether it's, you know, caused by your posture <laughs> or it's caused by your reaction to someone else. It's still our own internal experience of unpleasantness, whether we're suffering about the pain in our knee because we are judging it and meeting it with aversion and saying it shouldn't be like this, or the other person who's being a pain in our ass, uh, who we're judging and saying, you shouldn't be like this. You're annoying. <laughs> um, both are a lack of our compassion, a lack of our patience, of our tolerance, of our wisdom. The more we develop wisdom and acceptance and kindness, which is where the path is leading us, the more we have it not only for our own experience, but we also have it for everyone else in the world. More patience, more tolerance, more acceptance. It doesn't mean that people don't annoy us. <laughs> it doesn't mean that uh, you know, we don't have our judgments and our fears. We just get the skill to meet like, oh, this is a judgment. This is a fear. We're aware of it. We're awake to it. Uh, and we can meet people with more kindness, you know, our internal relationship. It's still the feeling tone in here is still pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And how we meet that pleasant, that unpleasant, or neutral uh, is whether or not we're happy, whether or not we're at ease, whether or not we're free. All depends on how we react, not on how other people act. <laughs> uh, fortunately and unfortunately. Fortunately, because it means we have a lot of influence over our own well-being. Um, but it also means we have to accept people and uh, accept ourselves and have that humility to accept uh, our own imperfections and other people's imperfections. And, um, okay, I want to get into the topic. Uh, Noel, Noel, I'll, I'll take a quick question and then no more questions and I'll jump into the topic. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah. How do you, I've been, I'm getting off my meds and I've been like having a hard time with that. It's been making my jaw lock up and my throat feels like it's, um, really tense and it's just like overwhelming um it's not obviously how i feel on a like day-to-day -day basis this is just because i lost my job because of covid and i lost my insurance so like i'm coming down off the medication and it's been really hard these past few days and the meditate the meditating has been like the only thing that's been getting me through but it's been too hard lately because my nerve system is, I don't know what it's doing. It's like, I, I, I can't um, acknowledge exactly what it is or why I'm feeling it because I think, I don't know if it's just a medication or not. All right. <laughs> um, but what's happening in the meditation when you're doing it? 
you're, are you able to stay, come back to the breath? What, what parts of the meditation are giving you a little bit of relief or ability to navigate this difficult experience of, of detoxing from medication? Um, focus on your breathing and, and uh, let uh, things pass and all that stuff. Um, but so that's, the, that's helping some. That's helping, yeah, because you know it's it's all I really want is the feeling to this this uh, go away. I can't force it. I'm trying to face it, but it's like medication is weird. I'm not a doctor, and I can't see one right now. But I'm going to as soon as I can. I'll let you know that Noah. But right. yeah, I'm just uh, kind of like having a hard time lately. Um, I mean, I'm not so, so sure what to say, um, other than like, I, I, it sounds very difficult. I'm glad that the meditation is giving some, uh, real, you know, not, not real relief, but at least like an ability to navigate it. Um, some of the core things that you already know, uh, is that like, it's, uh, it'll pass, um, you know, however long it takes, like every, what we learn is like everything is impermanent. And so uh, sometimes when we're in these really difficult places, just reminding ourselves like this is gonna change. It's, you know, constantly changing. It's one of the things about coming back to the breath of like just one breath at a time. I, I don't have to suffer all day, just one moment at a time. Um, and knowing that you're in a, an altered state, right? Because of the experience um, that, you know, some of you know, the thoughts aren't so trustworthy, the feelings aren't so trustworthy. And I just have to like bear this and just kind of go through this. And, um, you know, being uncomfortable, like one of the hugest things that meditation is teaching us is to be uncomfortable and that it's okay to be uncomfortable. Um, and I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I certainly don't want to give you any kind of medical advice. And, um, you know, of course, sometimes it's dangerous to, uh, you know, detox without medical supervision and all of that stuff. So, you know, just, you know, sending you love and sending you support. Um, and, just that encouragement, like trust, like if this helps a little bit, just to kind of be in Sangha, listen to the instructions, to know that it will change, uh, to do whatever you can to meet it with some mercy and some uh, compassion. Um, but to not put a trip on yourself uh, that you need to like be a really good meditator, just, just being part of it is, is enough, just showing up and listening and, and being uh, connected with the Sangha is enough, probably. Um, yes, it's, it's very helpful. Thank you very welcome. much. Welcome. Um, yes, thank you. I wanted to um, shift and talk a, a bit tonight about uh, Sila ethics. Um, Buddhism offers us uh, the Four Noble Truths as the core teachings, as the core direction to 
liberation of how to get free. The first two are about wisdom, the wisdom of understanding that karma is a law, is reality, is what we are, what we are. <laughs> karma is not a um, good idea. It's not a, a theory. It's uh, what we are living and breathing. We are responsible for our intentional actions. And because that is true, second uh, factor of the path, it's so important for us to develop positive intentions, to develop intentions that are free from greed, that are free from hatred, that are free from ill will. Now, this is really radical because there's something natural about the human condition to be greedy and clingy and cravey, not that that's a word, but, um, you know, it's just completely, you know, second noble truth. All of us have craving. Now, and then the Buddha comes in and says, hey, if you want to get free from craving, from the suffering that craving and attachment and aversion create, develop intentions that are free from intentional going towards craving, going towards hatred, going towards ill will, because those are going to create suffering, negative karma for us. And then really the next three factors are very practical. As I said in the beginning, how are we going to live? How are we going to live our lives? How are we going to show up in communication? So this factor of uh, communication, of speech, of, of wise and appropriate communicating with each other in a way that's not going to cause us harm, cause negative karma to ourselves or, you know, uh, or others. And how are we going to act? And so maybe just those two tonight. The third is right livelihood. Maybe I'll get there. It's a lot since we only have 20 minutes or so left. 25 minutes. So I want to share with you some of the translations of um, this third factor, looking at communication. And for a moment, even before I get into the teaching, just reflect how much of your suffering, your conflict, your difficulties is about communicating with, uh, is about relationships. <laughs> is about talking to other people or how other people talk to you. Um, and, you know, I feel like this is also so complicated now by social media and where like we have all of these experiences by things that people are saying, they're not even saying it to you, <laughs> but you're reading it and then you're having this desire to re respond. Because, uh, you know, now everybody's kind of publishing their thoughts, <laughs> and their feelings and their opinions. And we're all sort of like, how dare you say that? <laughs> um, just think about how much, how much have you been suffering lately about what people say and about how you communicate back? How much negative karma have you created for yourself this week, this month, this year? from speaking in harsh ways and dishonest ways and critical, judgmental ways. And 
Is that on your radar? Are you mindful of what you say and what the intention is behind what you say? And when I say, it's, you know, of course, it's not just speech, it's all of our communications. We're communicating every time we send a text, an email, a social media, a, you know, a tweet, a, uh, even a photograph, you know, uh, communicate something. Our body language communicates something, sign language, facial expressions, you know, uh, uh, a dirty look versus a smile versus a wink. <laughs> you know, we're always, we're communicating so much with each other and with the world. So here's some of the things that the Buddha teaches, he says, what is wise speech? Number one, practicing honesty, abstaining from lying. So reflecting on how's your relationship with honesty? Are you committed to honesty, to abstaining from lying? And how many levels of lying are there? And, you know, there's the outright intentionally saying something that is absolutely not true. How often do you do that? Then there's the um, saying something that's partially true. That lie of uh, kind of exaggerating, like it was kind of true, like, <laughs> but I made it bigger than it was or minimizing that, that dishonesty, that lying of, eh, there was some truth to it, but I only told half of it. I sort of minimized it. Or the lying of omission. This is a big one that it's a hard one to find our way with. Sometimes it's quite obvious where we are intentionally lying by not telling the truth in a situation where it's obvious that our agreement with that person, that situation is to tell the truth and we're holding it back. So just reflecting on and, and this encouragement towards in order to purify our karma, in order to develop the factors of uh, integrity, to commit and recommit to honesty on all levels, what's sometimes called rigorous honesty, to speaking the truth. Now, also part of this is honesty that is well-timed, that is um, appropriate, uh, because also when we start to talk about, when I start to talk about rigorous honesty, We do have to be uh, skillful about, uh, is this the right time? Is this the right uh, delivery? Um, is it coming from a place of kindness or am I using the truth to intentionally cause harm? So part of wise communication is also coming from a place of kindness and coming from a place of uh, timing, appropriateness.
there's two other pieces here where the Buddha says to abstain from um, what he calls tail-bearing uh, and gossiping. Tail-bearing is, you know, gossiping is, um, is basically repeating stuff that you've heard that you're not sure if it's true or not because you weren't there. <laughs> that sort of tendency that we have to um, tell, you know, repeat what we've heard. Like, well, I heard so-and-so said this. I heard so-and-so said that. Um, and he said, and the Buddha says, actually, this is unskillful speech to, to get into gossiping and slandering and um, you know, mostly this feels like it has a negative karmic implication when we're repeating negative stuff about each other that we're not totally uh, sure of. Just we heard it. It doesn't seem to be as karmically unwholesome if you're saying positive things about each other and you're singing each other's praises and we're kind of uh, holding each other up and you know celebrating each other that doesn't seem to be such a problem but really the connotation here is you know what we think about as uh, gossiping uh, slandering uh, stuff that we're not even sure is true And again, all of us reflecting on that part of our mind that is uh, so self-centered, the human tendency to be self-centered, it's always worried about what people are saying about us. Do you ever, you, does your mind do that sometimes? <laughs> or you're kind of conscious about, self-conscious about, what are people saying about me? Because we know that um, about ourselves, we know that about each other, having some renun renunciation about um, gossiping and to actually practice speaking truth and positive things about each other. He goes on to say, uh, abstain from harsh and malicious speech. Now, I want to really focus on malicious <laughs> because sometimes Buddhists can uh, kind of say, like, all swearing is harsh. Now, my own feeling is it depends on the intention. Sometimes you, we swear in a malicious way where it's harsh and the intention is to cause harm. Sometimes we swear in a way that's it's not malicious at all. It's actually humorous. Uh, I find, as I've looked at my relationship to speech over the last 30-something years, that mostly I swear as an exclamation point <laughs> to make a point or to, you know, get a laugh or to intentionally be irreverent or um, rarely do I swear in a way that is malicious of like, uh, in, with the intent to cause harm. But that's what we have to always be bringing mindfulness to. What is my intention behind my speech? 
And again, some of it's our audience. I have um, been given a lot of feedback over the years of like, whoa, like a Dharma teacher that swears a lot. That's to some refreshing. They're like, I fucking love it. Finally, like somebody who talks the way I talk. This is great. Maybe I can actually meditate. But I've been given other feedback from people who are like, well, you know, I really like this Buddhist stuff, but why do you swear? Why are you such harsh potty mouth? And because their perception of it is um, that it feels uh, unpleasant to them. So we each have to find our way with that and also some, something about um, you know, our audience. Who are we speaking to? Um, um, abstaining from vain talk. The vanity that is in in Buddhism, vanity is feeling uh, a sense of I am superior to others. You sometimes talk about yourself in a way of like I'm so superior to those fools. <laughs> vain talk is also inferiority. I'm such a loser. I'm so much worse. I'm the worst. You ever say, <laughs> I'm the worst person ever is also vanity. So that's interesting to look at in our communication. Are we often putting ourselves above or below? Both are this form of self-centeredness, this form of I in comparison to the other. Now, the really confusing part here for most of us is that Buddhism then also goes to even I am equal to is also vanity. <laughs> Anytime we're kind of bringing the I am comparing myself to you and landing above or below or even equal with, it's all too much self-centeredness. <laughs> um, but just looking at that, how often is our communication about ourselves? You know, I feel, I feel like there's all of this encouragement in modern communication skills to speak in I statements. <laughs> uh, right? You guys know that one where it's like, well, don't tell me how, don't, you know, don't tell me how, you know, I make you feel. Just speak from I feel. <laughs> no, the Buddha is saying, like, be careful for too much I, me, and mine in the communication. Well, you know, it gets tricky. Abstaining from lying, tail-bearing, and harsh language and vain talk is right speech. The avoidance of wrong speech, the abstaining, the desisting, the refraining, um, and then developing not just what we don't do. I don't lie, I don't gossip, I don't try to cause harm with my words, 
but actually to, to acknowledge my, our human uh, communication is so powerful. We have the ability, and you know this, right? Like just from the way that we affect each other, we do have the ability to bring a smile to each other's face, to make each other feel good, to feel heard, to feel supported, to feel loved, and to actually practice that kind of positivity, that kind of, I wanna to speak to you in a way so that you feel uh, good. And I want to speak the truth and the appropriate time and the appropriate place, but in a way that uh, hopefully supports you, even if it's sometimes uncomfortable. My last reflection here around communication is that sometimes we, us Buddhists, get a little too um, so committed to not causing any harm that we become conflict avoidant um, because like, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings. Uh, so I don't want to say anything to you, even though it's true, it would be very useful to have this communication. We do have the appropriate kind of relationship where I could say something that's true to you, but it might bruise your ego a bit. It might hurt your feelings a little bit. And that, um, uh, Certainly, when I look at the Buddha's teachings, he talks about the importance of Sangha and the spiritual friendship and the accountability and the uh, necess necessary um, that sometimes we're going to have to admonish each other. But how do we do that? How do we constructively uh, criticize each other and say, you know, what you're, you're, what you're doing is not cool? The way you're showing up is causing harm. Um, and to be able to do that in a way that's not like, well, I don't want to say that because that might hurt your feelings. But to not also find that balance of not to do it in such a harsh way that it turns someone off or shuts them, shuts them off. So how to be honest but appropriate, to stay kind. Um, this is a huge part of our practice every single day. And again, I, I keep wanting to come back. I feel like people are suffering so much. Uh, some people are suffering so much about, um, about social media stuff, about like what's being communicated on Twitter or Facebook or uh, Instagram or, or and, and how much we're kind of, craving for attention um, and kind of posting stuff not out of a wholesome place, not out of a, um, and it's a form of speech. Every picture we post is a form of speech. And just pausing and looking at, oh, why am I posting this? Is this an act of generosity of like I'm sharing something that I feel like will be interesting for other people? Uh, am I posting at someone in particular? <laughs> Hoping that, you know, so-and-so sees this. I hope it kind of, I hope they feel jealous. <laughs> I hope they feel, um, you know, something, you know, just really looking at. And then if you can identify it, if you pause before you communicate and say, you know, maybe I don't need to post this or maybe I don't need to comment on this person's posting that I don't agree with. Maybe I can 
maybe this isn't the appropriate place to judge and criticize people that I think are having negative or confused ideas about the world or politics or music or whatever I don't agree with that they're posting. Fashion, how could you wear those shoes? <laughs> okay, so speech, lifelong, ongoing, Practice, and we have to have so much humility because we're going to fuck it up. So, you know, in my experience, I think it's probably the factor of the path that I'm uh, maybe least skilled at. <laughs> um, and that, you know, I'm constantly having to apologize and make amends and take responsibility for, you know, saying something I wasn't skillful to say. So uh, there's that humility. We don't have to do it perfect, but we want to keep it on our radar. It's, an, it's part of the path. How do we communicate? I don't know if I have time to, I think I'm going to leave it there for tonight I, and go next time into the um, actions. Let's just have some discussion about communication as part of our practice. What is your thoughts? I see a few people saying that they appreciate it, these reminders. Um, does it make sense? Any questions about how to apply it in your life about, you know, how to make this a central part of our process of, of mindfulness and of uh, karmic Momentum, right? The whole point is everything we say has some karma with it. Amanda, please jump in. Hi, thank you. I've had this question for a long time um, about like honesty, where sometimes I've like give myself a pass when uh, if being honest, it will bring me harm um or when withholding you know the whole truth uh is going to keep me from harm um i was just curious about that so harm in what way harm as in i'll be embarrassed i'll be like what level of harm are we talking about um more serious not just embarrassment or like protecting my own ego, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, more serious. Like you're gonna go to prison? Um, or, or be in physical no. danger? <laughs> yeah, more so like that. Um, physical danger? Yeah, or like, um, you know, in like toxic relationships or abusive relationships. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I feel like probably for sure there's times where we should, um, you know, like when I, I said, uh, is it the appropriate time? <laughs> is it the appropriate place? Is it, uh, you know, um, sometimes we have to have the realization that like, yeah, no, right now would put me in danger. Maybe at some point I'll be able to... Um, 
I feel, I feel like it's bigger, you know, if we find ourselves in a relationship that we can't be honest in, it's not safe to be honest in, yeah. um, then, right, then we already know, oh, this is, my work isn't so much here uh, about honesty as much as ext extracting, uh, getting myself out of this uh, situation where it's not even safe to tell the truth. Yeah, okay. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I, um, I tend to be, uh, you know, some people have actually uh, accused me of being too honest, maybe at the wrong time or the, uh, and I can, I, for a long time, I was just like, no, no, you just tell the truth. But I've, I've seen that I've sort of done something similar to what you're saying, where I've been honest in situations that um, where then it was used against me and um, caused actually a lot of harm to our community. And, um, you know, and then looking back of like, fuck, should I have not been honest? Maybe it wasn't the appropriate time. <laughs> Maybe it was too, I don't know. Like my Dharma tells me like, tell the truth. Um, but, uh, I wasn't aware of what a toxic situation that I was in and how that would be used to, uh, you know, cause harm. So I think it is a good question. And I think we all have to be careful for not using, uh, not looking for too many loopholes. Like if it's really going to cause harm, then yes, maybe it's not the right time. Um, I've always and I've kind of gotten into it with people, uh, like in the um, 12 steps, there's that uh, step, the ninth step that says, you know, we make amends, like we go and we ask for forgiveness and we make amends, except for when to do so uh, would injure them or others. And I've just heard so many people over the years say like, well, I'm not going to tell the truth um, because it might cause harm. I'm not going to talk about the affair that I had because that would hurt my partner. Um, and I've always had this internal feeling of like, no, no, you have the karma from that. And if you're in a relationship, you owe that person the truth and that omission of that, um, the harm that it's going to cause by being honest, um, they deserve, you know, like they, they, uh, to know that I don't, I don't at all feel like we're unburdening ourselves when we're true about something, when we're honest about something that we've done that has betrayed someone else's trust or our commitment. My own feeling is that, you know, the kind of the Buddhist perspective is you take responsibility for your actions um, and not for other people's reactions, you know, like they, uh, they get to have their feelings about what we have done. Um, so for what it's worth, that's my feeling. Katrina. Hi, Noah. My, um, question was pretty much along the same lines as the former person, but I just wanted to share that, like you were saying for a long time, I thought the goal was to be, you know, like radically honest with people. <laughs> and then in therapy, I was told like a couple years ago, it's okay to not tell the truth if the person who's asking for the information doesn't have a right to know. 
And that was like earth shattering to me. And again, it's within the context of a, like a toxic relationship with an ex-husband who was kind of prying into my life. And I was telling him the truth, but it was causing a lot of damage, um, real life, you know, negative consequences on the quality of my life and the life of my our child. And so it was really hard for me to go against the teachings <laughs> I've been practicing for so long to be honest and just say, this is a matter of privacy and safety for me and my child. And this person doesn't have a right to know. Right. But I, I, I love that. And I love that you're bringing this angle in from what I hear in that is actually that's honest. When somebody asks you something and you can honestly say to them, I'm not going to tell you. It's none of your fucking business. Well, I that couldn't say is, that out loud. That is honest. I can't say that out loud. <laughs> but okay. in my mind. <laughs> yes, in our mind. Yeah, but you know, you know what I mean? Like being able to honestly say, honestly, you know, somebody asks you a question and honestly say, I don't feel comfortable answering that rather than lying. Rather than, you know, there's an, there's an honest way where you don't, you're not actually practicing wrong speech at all. You're practicing right speech by saying, I, not, I don't feel comfortable answering that. Totally rigorously honest, you know, not going to answer it. And then that way we're not in, you know, we're not omitting because it's like your therapist was saying, uh, it's only omission when we actually owe that person the truth. But we do, you know, like in that situation, like, oh, no, no, like it's, it's actually, you're asking something that's none of your business. And so I, I, I can just say, none of your business in a kind way. Not none of your fucking business, but to have a boundary around what, ans what questions we answer and which ones we don't, that's appropriate, depending on the nature of the relationship. So I think that I appreciate you bringing that in there because I don't want to say that omission is all of the time. Anytime anybody asks us something, if we don't answer it, that we're guilty of the dishonesty of omission. That's not, I don't want to say that. I see a question here. I've had a hard time with the people who are supportive of oppressive actions of our government leaders, not even Trump, more like officials on both sides of the aisle who support private prisons, pharmaceutical industries, et cetera. Thoughts on how to handle communication with them. I want to be honest, but I've caused a lot of emotional harm that way. Um, so tricky um, and also it depends on my feeling is it depends on is our perspective being solicited you know like if somebody actually comes to us and says hey what do you think about uh, these government officials who are supporting the pharmaceutical uh, companies and um, uh, 
prisons, privatization of prisons and all of that. And then it's like, oh, that's appropriate. Oh, you want to know? Oh, here, I'll be happy to share with you my thoughts uh, about the situation. But again, I feel like this is one of the issues with uh, social media where it's just like everyone thinks that they have to publish all of their thoughts and their views and their opinion and make sure the whole world knows that we don't agree with all of this ignorance that's going on in the world. Um, and rather than supporting, uh, you know, kind of posting and commenting in positive ways of like, you know, here's what I do believe in. I believe in honesty. I believe in integrity. I believe in, you know, um, in, in being specific. You know, I, I believe in not incarcer, you know, not I, uh, mass incarceration or mass uh, medication uh, or profiting off of people's suffering in all of these different ways. I. Um, but I'm not so sure, I don't know, my own stance about it. I think that the Buddhist stance uh, is that we don't uh, go around kind of shoving our views and opinions onto other people, no matter how much we disagree with them. Kind of allow, uh, allow people to have their views and, um, and try not to suffer so much about it. question about wondering if getting too caught up in the honesty definition is getting too caught up in the illusory, illusory, illusory idea of selfhood and identity. Ideally, we can practice without getting too entangled. You know, that whole piece around vanity and this uh, dharma reality that um, the kind of I, me, mine views and opinions are um, somehow, uh, you know, not, not so substantiated that the dharma teaches us, wisdom teaches us that uh, it's not so personal and there's not such a, a solid self here. And yet in communication, we still have to have a first person narrative. I think, <laughs> I feel. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's very tricky to communicate without getting really weird and start talking about ourselves in the third person. <laughs> you know, because on one hand, you know, you don't want to start going around like Noah, has a feeling <laughs> it's just too creepy so we have to continue to use that i without believing in it and i feel like that i think lee that that's what you're pointing to without getting i like what you said without getting too entangled uh in believing our views and opinions um but one of the great things about having the Dharma as a map of being able to compare what the thoughts are in our mind with, is this 
coming from a place of kindness? Is this coming from a place of honesty? Is this coming from a place of generosity? Is it, you know, of the kind of Dharma map that we have that gives us all of this really good direction about um, how to show up in the world and to acknowledge like, nope, I'm coming from fear, not, you know, trust. I'm not coming from a place of connection. I'm coming from a place of aversion and judgment. And then sometimes being like, it's not a good place to communicate from. So I'm not going to, I'm going to actually abstain. I'm going to practice some renunciation because I'm too caught up in my judgments and my fears to actually communicate skillfully right now. Too entangled. Okay, that's our time for tonight. Next week, we will um, talk about the five precepts and the encouragement of how to act and not act. I hope this reflections on communication will help you uh, over these, this holiday. If you um, are having any meals with uh, people or even if you're doing some Zoom Thanksgiving celebrations, um, usually that is, uh, you know, with family and friends where it's easy to regress into old behaviors and um, kind of unskillful patterns that we've been in with our family or friends or uh, if you, you know, partake in those kind of festivities in person or uh, even Zoom gatherings. So to just pause and uh, be a little bit more careful with how we communicate part of our practice. Class is done by donation. If you can, please uh, offer a donation. The link is in the bio. Um, the donations go to supporting Against the Streams, uh, being able to continue to exist through the uh, lockdowns and the uh, inability to have gatherings, uh, isolation. So please, um, if you can, support us in this time so that we're still have a place to gather when the time comes and we can gather in person again. In the meantime, we'll meet here on Zoom. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, may any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion be shared outward in all directions. May each one of us learn to communicate wisely and appropriately, and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.